0: Kā pasaulē Eiropai palīdzēt Ukraiņai panākt uzvaru karā, kā atjaunoties pēckara un kā panākt Krievijas deputinizāciju? Igaunijas eksprezidents Tomas Hendriks Ilves, viens pret vienu. Mr. President, thank you for joining us on Latvian TV. Uh, Good to be here. Nice. This is a day 20 of Russian invasion, and how do you assess the situation in Ukraine?
1: Well, it's pretty bad, but um, certainly the, uh, the hopes and dreams of the Camarilla uh, or the Junta in Moscow Uh, where they thought it would all be over in a matter of days, has not been realized. They are running out of precision weapons. They are losing far more men than they expected to. But at the same time, what we see in the last several days is they have become far more brutal. Uh, I mean, right now, I was just checking, but nothing has changed. I mean, they have 2,000 people as hostages in a hospital, patients and doctors, and they're using that as a as a <clears throat> center to direct fire, so they're all hostages.
0: Um, it means they can't defeat uh, Ukrainian forces on the ground.
1: Well, it means that they are using brutal methods that... Um, we have not seen in Europe uh, for uh, almost 80 years. Uh, We've seen things like this in Syria and we've seen them in Chechnya, but that's certainly not Europe. Um, We've seen indiscriminate bombing, shooting of civilians, uh, fake evacuation routes where they shoot so they've i don't know i think 100 children have been killed so far i mean as far as we know the mayor of mariupol says that there are 20,000 dead in mariupol um this is this is this is world war 2 level of violence and it's getting worse uh And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it seems now his main goal is to destroy Ukraine. And so it does not look good.
0: Do you believe that uh, dictator Putin will be personally brought to justice, brought to tribunal?
1: He'll probably be dead. But I think, I know that Every, I mean, that the, low, the ones lower down will be brought to one of several tribunals. Uh, I mean, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, they're all going to the tribunal. I mean, it's easy to catch them because they're already abroad, but they are going to, they are, just. I mean, just as <clears throat> uh, the West denazified Germany Um, All of those propagandists, you know, I mean, it wasn't just Goebbels who committed suicide, but his underlings, they all went before the courts. So they are going to serve time and they're going to serve time in Europe. And since we have all these Euro prisons, they'll probably be serving their time in Estonia and Latvia. But they are all going before the courts.
0: They say it's a historical war. history is being forged over there, um, and what's at stake, to your mind?
1: Well, it's a longer answer, but um, basically what we have seen is the collapse, uh, not, well, of not only the post-Cold War order, but actually the post-war order. If you look at what the West did. Planning ahead, by the way, during a war. Uh, Already in 1944, you know, the the U.S. created the Bretton Woods Institutions, the IMF and the World Bank, because they saw that you would need a lot of money for reconstruction and to keep the economies going. 1945, brand new thing. The U.N. organization forbade changing borders through use of force. Aggression was made a crime. Uh, we saw 1945-46. UNRWA, the United Nations Refugee Relief Agency, helping 12 million refugees in Europe. We saw. Uh, we saw well. In, uh, we saw the Marshall Plan, a brilliant idea a mar- to, uh, to build up Europe. We saw after the communist putches in Eastern Europe and Poland and the Czech, in Czechoslovakia, we saw the creation of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. We saw the creation of the coal and steel community by 1950, the Schumann Declaration. So from 1944 to 1950, that's a period of six years, all of the institutions that we have all of us except for the very very old have grown up with and these institutions have functioned for a long long time Um, in fact they they did fairly well also after the end of the cold war so 19 i mean you can date the post cold war era somewhere between sort of summer of 1989 in December of 19, 1991, between the first Polish election, democratic elections and the, and the final end of the Soviet Union. Um, so that, that brought in the post-Cold War era, which continued the Cold War institutions and they did rather well. But what we have seen, and some of us have seen it better than others, that, uh, that Russia didn't change. Well, it changed its name. It called itself Russia, not the Soviet Union, but the behavior has been the same. Now, we in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, we know, our, we sensed it much earlier. And that's why we worked so hard in the 1990s to join the European Union, to join NATO, um, the first, but you began to see the host, we saw the hostility already in the end of the nineties when, uh, uh, when, uh, Russia sort of started saying that, no, you can't join NATO, but they didn't make too much of an effort then. But mm-hmm. the first real hostile act took place in my country, which was in 2007 when we had the massive cyber attacks that shut down my country and I was president then so <laughs> it was and then we began to see the problem that we have had to deal with for the past uh, 15 years that we were we had a cyber attack massive cyber attack we went to nato and some countries there said oh there's no cyber attack you're just being russophobic. This was said by people who could not tell the difference between a computer and a toaster. Well, we are already more digital than then than they those countries that are are today so this was complete nonsense I mean you just i mean how do you what do you what are you talking about but no, no, we won't believe these East Europeans because Well, they're East Europeans, you know, they. um, We saw then the attack on Georgia in 2008. Once again, what happened with that? Okay, very bad. Russia attacks Georgia. Let's wait three months and let's have a reset. Let's all just be happy and get along with the Russians, even though they invaded Georgia and and occupied 20% of Georgian territory. We've seen since then. Okay, I mean, then that's where they, we got to 2014. They occupied Crimea. Crimea. They shot down uh, a civilian airliner, MH17. Now, what did we get? Well, we got some more sanctions. You know, it's not very nice, but, you know, we all have to get along with the Russians. Um, and... It's been like that all along. And they, we, have not, we have been dismissed. I mean, the most, you know, what did we see last year in the summer? Biden had a summit with Putin. Suddenly we read in the Financial Times a leak that the next day mm, Merkel and Macron are, will announce to us that they are going to go have a meeting also with, with Putin. It's like, you didn't discuss this with us. We don't know about this. Uh, so there's this long, long trajectory of 15 or more years, in uh, which uh, we were not paid attention to at all.
0: Now we are paying attention, Mr. President. I want to quote one uh, researcher, Camille He He's writing, there will, be, there will be no better chance to defeat Putin than now, because now he rushed Z and miscalculated. This miscalculation created a point of failure, which should be exploited fully, because, because if it isn't, Putin will just regroup, and next war will be way worse than this. What should we do?
1: Well, basically, isolate them completely. Isolate them completely, and, there, and I mean, my my worry is that as soon as he makes one little nice move, it's going to be oh, let's take away all the sanctions. No. No change in this behavior until we get reparations, until we get a, a war tribu- war crimes tribunal. You confiscate their money all of the money they have in the West, all of their property to rebuild Ukraine. I mean, there are estimates of the damage to Ukraine is almost a trillion dollars. Well, let's start with their reserves. We just take them. We take their property. To rebuild Ukraine. To build Ukraine. They did it. They broke it, but they don't own it. Uh, President Zelensky
0: and Foreign Minister Kulev is asking for more sanctions, for more biting sanctions against Russia. What should we do more?
1: Well, I would just... uh, (laughs) At this point, well, I mean, we're going quite far. We're doing a lot. uh, But basically isolated, completely. Isolated completely. There is no need to have anything to do... It is a pariah terrorist state. Yeah, you know, I would shut down their. Uh, I would shut down all but necessary personnel in their embassies. Why do we have all of these gayaroo and uh, and uh, people in our countries? Why you don't? I don't know how many people you have in your embassy, but I would say most of them you really don't want in your country, nor do we want them in our country.
0: We can do it, but we can't do it. I could quote again, Minister of Economics of Germany, just saying about stop buying uh, Russian oil and gas. She was saying, boycott of Russian gas and oil could cause mass poverty in Germany. And Minister Warns, an immediate stop to supplies could hurt German's population more than Putin. This is going on. Not isolation.
1: Well, we, I mean, each country decides itself whether it wants to be part of this or not. We have seen a dramatic transformation of Germany since February 24. I mean, the, uh, you know, Olaf Schulz, Bundeskanzler Schulz's uh, speech on the 27th of February, he basically threw out 50 years of German foreign policy. So we can do it, I mean, that's why, <clears throat> why I mentioned all the things that were done uh, from 1944 to 1950. Ma- I mean, just huge, creative, innovative things. And that's what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to rebuild the our alliances. We see that the UN has been utterly useless. Why do we need a UN if such a there's nothing that can be done with such a massive war. I would say, like, no, we don't need a UN. Why are we members of the UN? Why do we have you know these terrorist states in the so called human rights council? Why do we have Russia vetoing anything that would stop Russian aggression? It's a pointless organization. Uh, we don't need to put money into that. We need functioning organizations, and I would certainly like to see. A much stronger alliance of Western democracies. I mean by Western, not even Western. We want a we want an alliance that includes Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, any kind of, and also any other kinds of countries that are genuine liberal democracies with. Uh, with uh, f- genuine elections and uh, free and fair elections and rule of law, no matter where they are. I mean, Uruguay mm-hmm. is a great country in Latin America. It should be part of a, part of a, a strong political, military, and economic alliance, which would, of course, uh, make other countries also maybe try to be a little more democratic. But we need new thinking in this regard. The old institutions, the ones that worked so well, do not work anymore. Coming back to
0: Ukraine, again, one quote, Amila Karacic, Bosnian researcher, uh, she said, Milošević, dictator Milošević, claimed Bosnia was an artificial country that didn't deserve to exist. The kind of lie that Putin has deployed against Ukraine, Serbs shelled apartment buildings and attacked civilians as they tried to flee, same as in Ukraine. Now, what we can see in Ukraine, is it enough blood for of Ukrainian people for NATO to intervene?
1: I'm afraid that NATO has allowed Putin to define the issues. What do you mean, allow? Well, they follow. He says, if you do this, we'll do that. And they go, "Oh, oh, no, no, we won't send any planes. No, no, we won't do that. No, no. I mean, so Putin has set the agenda utterly ridiculous i mean uh, utterly ridiculous i mean if nato is to be a force to be reckoned with it says no you're you are not defining where we can fly you are not defining what we can do with the independent state of ukraine you don't tell us that but instead no 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 Well, no, we can't really give them planes. No, no, we can't fly over there because actually, you know, Putin said if we do this, it'll start World War III. Uh, No, I mean, I hope we get a uh, secretary general uh, next time around that actually has, has some courage to say, no, you are not defining our role. But if we are not helping more, or if NATO
0: won't help more, ukraine will prevail
1: it's too early to tell first of all what we do need to do is send them send them much more in the way of armaments one of the big problems are fixed-wing airplanes uh, bombers that fly too high because uh, you know the um, stingers don't reach that high you can shoot down Helicopters, yeah. But you want to get those high-flying planes. Well, you need surface-to-air missiles for that. So let's give them surface-to-air missiles. Uh, I mean, let's give them more tanks. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we should be giving them. We have given them, uh, Estonia has given them two tranches of... um, of uh, javelins, but there are all kinds of other things that, I mean, OK, now that I think they have quite a few javelins, but uh, we need to give them everything that they need in order to stop this. Right. The question is that this is urgent
0: need. We need it to re- react and act now. It's a question maybe of weeks,
1: maybe of days. Well, we have all the equipment. It's a matter of getting mm-hmm. it there. Which is not that difficult. You just go across. You go. You send it to Poland, and you go. You cross the border from Poland, and if they dare shoot at NATO planes, NATO trucks. I mean, instead of saying, "Oh my God, they might shoot at NATO, and that'll be a war," you go, "No." Yeah,
0: Putin's threatening with nukes. Yeah. How do
1: you think this is a real threat? No. No. I also don't think that if he presses the button, that and they will follow. I mean, Russia is, is, is to be honest, on the point of collapse itself. I mean, why are they losing so badly? Well, a couple of examples. You have the the head of the fifth service of the KGB, uh, whatever, General Beseda. He's the one who who's, uh, the the fifth service deals with. Uh, Doing stuff abroad, right? You're not FSB is not to do it, but uh, not supposed to do abroad, but they do abroad because that's what the fifth service does. They lost, or, or actually had stolen five billion dollars. So uh, you can imagine how this happened. You have this clown Beseda, saying, oh, we have all this intelligence, oh, we're going to do this and that and everything, but nothing was going to happen. Nothing was going to happen because he took the money. The money was never spent on paying all kinds of people. Uh, You look at the planning for this. They don't have enough fuel. I mean, they run out of fuel. Today was the report that one of the things that uh, the Russians have asked the Chinese for are MREs. MREs stand for meals ready to eat you know these little packages that in the army you get and then you little can soldiers yeah they
0: don't
1: ha- they don't have any of those because they didn't they, you know they had this like typical oh we go in three days they all fall based on bad or, or false information that you know beseda was feeding putin so they have no idea and what are they doing now they're all stuck now, does that mean they'll win and lose? No, it doesn't mean they'll lose, but it means that this almighty Russian army that you, we, for years I even mean, now, they've completely modernized. They are a formidable force. We have to be careful with them because this is not the old Soviet army. This is the new, modern, powerful Russian army. Well, it turns out, no, it is the old Soviet army. I mean, it's the old Soviet army. It's a Bardak, to use the Russian term. In fact, it is Bardakistan. So I do not, I mean, so we don't know how to go because, you know, there's always the traditional Russian way of doing things, just bomb everything to pieces. They did it in Grozny. They did it in Aleppo. I think we had this illusion that, well, he won't, do, he won't dare do it in Ukraine because they're so close and they're so European. He doesn't care. He's going to just kill as many people as possible.
0: We see seizures of oligarchs and sanctioned persons, yachts, villas, assets across Europe. Uh, what do you think uh, these oligarchs are able to do some coup in Kremlin?
1: No, I don't think they are, but certainly, since all their money is illegal then there's it's more of a legal criminal issue than than having any kind of leverage uh, so but I mean it will affect the Russian economy, but I do not see that these people have any leverage at all i mean uh, I mean if you look at if you look at how things are going, I mean, Putin is sitting there. He's got like thirty meters away, are sitting all of these clowns, you know, Patrushev and Baskurkin and and, uh, and uh, Lavrov, uh, and he's he's just playing with them, and he's like, but thirty meters, you know. I mean, there's something a little psychologically weird. And then you have the table where the long, long table where one end you have. Shoigu, and you have Lavrov, and the other end is Putin. You go, this man normal? And then there was a, he had the same meeting with all of his oligarchs, and he just said, now we do this, and they're like, yes, yes, yes. yes. So, and the problem is, it's not. Cl- I don't think you're going to get a coup d'état until it gets really, really bad, because. I mean, all of those men, all the, you know, the the Bastrychins and Patrushevs and Lavrovs, they may think he's crazy, but they know that the minute Putin is gone, they too will be hanging like Christmas tree ornaments on the lampposts outside the Kremlin.
0: Then what should be some kind of exit game for
1: Russian elite or? No exit game. No exit game. You did it, you fix it. I mean, I keep, I keep we need a, an off-ramp for Putin, which means that a oh, way he can save face. Well, I mean, what he wants, I mean, he wants the destruction of, of Ukraine. What are you gonna say? Oh, you can just take this, you can take these parts of Ukraine if you just are nice and stop killing all these people. No, you can't do that, it's total isolation.
0: There is still going, uh, ongoing uh, negotiation between Ukrainian and Russian side. Some Ukrainians are skeptical of, of an outcome. They don't believe Russians would stop attacking anyway. Ceasefire or not ceasefire?
1: I think most people from Eastern Europe would not believe him. We see all of the ceasefires fail. What did we see last this week, last week. I don't know. Oh, we'll give you safe passage. Mm for for civilians. And then you go bomb them. You bomb the people. I mean, why would you trust this country? Why would you ever trust this country? After all that we've seen just in the last two weeks? No. So, I mean, Ukraine will decide what it does with Russia. Fine. Um, but I don't think... It, well... Certainly, no one that uh, no one in sort of the central in Central and Eastern Europe would trust it. Maybe in the West, they're kind of like, "Oh, let's give him a chance," you know. But not among us. They say Putin's
0: war, Kremlin's regime war, Russia's war, and then we know concept of collective responsibility. Who bears this mon- responsibility of what what's
1: going on? Mm. Certainly, every soldier in Ukraine, um, in Russian, ar- in the Russian army, who is an officer, all the VDV, VDV people, should be, should are responsible for war crimes. Um, the KGB, they're responsible. Um, all of the propagandists, ones who talk every night, as we are talking, they're they're talking over there about lying um, I mean it's that's why I say we need a Nuremberg. I would really actually like it in the the town of Nuremberg. it would be good for tourism you know I mean hotels would get good business because they're going to be hell of a lot of them do you believe in any, any
0: revolt or apparatus of Masses of Russian people in in, in this country to, to overthrow Putin's regime. Not
1: until the not until the sanctions begin to affect them economically. I mean, let's put this way: Look, uh, Russia. I mean, it's 1905 all over again. It is a disastrous war, We're causing all kinds of problems, and at some point. And I'm sure Putin knows this. Um, it's uh, People will not be able to take it anymore, but it, the economy has to be bad enough that they will do that. It's not bad enough yet.
0: They can suffer, you know, in a history. Eh,
1: they, can, they can suffer, but they're... I mean, they, in 1905, they said enough, right? I mean, so... So they can... Uh, I mean...
0: Okay, then. No, for instance, this Maria Afanikova yesterday. He uh, is mem- member of um, Russian propaganda state channel number one. He burst onto uh, live studio, yelling, "Stop the war! They are lying to 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 you." The stage, heroic, too long, too late. Sorry,
1: I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. We'll see what happens with, out of this. I mean, I just read she got a, not a very large fine. I mean, given the ruble is worth Almost 300 three euros, yeah. Right. I mean, that was not a big fine. <laughs> so, not by Russian standards. Uh, it's not a big fine. Fu- I mean, for how rich all of these uh, people are in power, it's like, huh. Um, I don't know. I also read that it was uh, spread massively across uh, Vkontakte. Uh, because you can't see Facebook anymore, you can't see Twitter. But uh, it's too early to tell. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that they need to suffer more. Uh, okay, this is
0: in Russia. Uh, here in Baltics we had some uh, Latvian survey, survey um, which took place in the beginning of March. And taking an account language one speaks at home, uh, 90% of Latvians support Ukraine, uh, 20% um, Russian-speaking, 20% for Ukraine, 20% for uh, Russia, and uh, 57% neutral or hard to say. How do you comment on that?
1: Well, I guess they watch a lot of Russian television,
0: I mean, so this is disinformation. This, this, this is not um, confusion or you know some confidence.
1: Well, you if you watch Russian television, you get a pretty odd picture, right? I mean. So I um, I don't know. I mean, we, basically, it's more or less the same in Estonia. Um, so this is a problem. And there's, al- there's also um, anti-Ukrainian sentiment we've noticed. In Estonia. Yeah, well, I mean, because we're, look, we have 22, 24,000 that have come in in the last two weeks, last two weeks, that much. Uh, and we will get more, we'll get a lot more. And so, um, you know, that's one thing that uh, I worry about. Uh, what's going to happen? I mean, you know, this is not. This will no longer be. Oh, Estonians, Russians. It's going to be Ukrainians and Russians. There's going to be Ukrainians that Estonians are with. I mean, we are. Estonia is amazingly receptive toward toward the uh, toward Ukrainians. We have all kinds of sites in Ukrainian. You if you when you come to Estonia. You know, you get same day or one day turnaround. You get a living permit, a working permit, a place to live. Um, it's all there. All the, when you come to Estonia from Latvia, but if, you, if a bus comes in or a car, I mean, they check everyone who comes in right now. Um, I've, you know, last couple of times I've, you yeah, know, I mean, last two times I went to, uh, drove from here to my house, you know, the Estonian police, you know, stops you and says, please show your documents. And But when they meet, when someone comes from Ukraine, they, they're there. How many, oh, you have children here. Here's a, here's a stuffed bear for you. And here's some candy for you. And here's what you need to do. And this is how you go and do it. And this is, you go to this place and then they will take care of you. I mean, this is the, uh, that's how Estonians view Ukrainians. Um We feel, we we understand where they're coming from, literally. And we understand, uh, you know, people like me and my parents. As teenagers fled from Estonia before exactly the same kind of brutal terror that they are fleeing from. You can tell more about your story, personal story No, I mean I was born after I was born in Sweden.
0: What did I have a problem? I now? know I, I mean history of your family. you know what it means to be
1: Well, I think so many Estonians do. I mean well, seven percent of Estonians left, and uh, roughly about the same percent of Latvians left, uh, and they some went to Germany and some went to Sweden, and then from there a large number of the ones, almost all of the ones in Germany and many of the ones in Sweden, moved on to the United States and Canada, so... I mean, that's... uh, uh, But I'm hoping that... uh, You know, you don't have to... that Ukrainians will not have to wait for 50 years. We
0: all hope so, of course. And if you're coming to question of rebuilding Ukraine, They are talking about some kind of Marshall Plan should be implemented soon. How it should work, actually. What kind
1: of money we should gather to rebuild um, Ukraine? Up to a trillion US dollars. I mean, the the estimates are right now already 600, 700 billion. Up to now. And the the war is still going on. So and as, as I said, we confiscate from the Russians some of the money to pay for it. It's not their money. It's, I mean, it's blood money, so we'll take that and we'll build it. And we'll free, their frozen assets will be simply confiscated. And we're a lot of oligarchs, too. I mean, if you're going to be brutal to people then there's no reason why we can't be brutal with their money, their property. Right. And I would certainly advise doing that. I mean, they have broken all the rules. There is no reason for us to say, oh, no, 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 that's private money. No, 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 no.
0: It took approximately nine years for the Baltic states from the application uh, uh, to accession uh, of European Union in 2004, should we do
1: something faster for Ukraine? In some parts, yes, uh, but I, I think you know. I mean, accession to the European Union, and this is what I mean. I've had this discussion and arguments with a number of Ukrainians. You know, it's. Can you take on the responsibilities of the e u? Do you know what it does to your economy not to have any any tariffs <laughs> you know you, you don't know what it means? do you know what it, what it's going to be like when your economy cannot compete um, you don't want to see that frankly um and so, I mean, you have to get your own country ready. And it, we had, I mean, this is what the negotiations are about. And they said, well, we'll negotiate that. I No, there's only one. When you have negotiations, you can only negotiate one thing. When you start taking over the acquis communautaire. When. Not if, or we'll change that, or we won't, you give me that, I'll give you that. No, none of that. It's only... I mean, the, all you can negotiate is what is the date that, the, that your phytosanitary controls have to be in place. Now, phyto, I mean, I mentioned phytosanitary controls because that is one of the most difficult things because if you're going to be in the European Union, we have to be sure your food is safe. And that means you have to be able to control every, and check everything. And that, again, will take time. And there won't be any kind of real transition period for having, you know, well, oh, you don't have to check your meat quality. No, that's not going to work. So it is not easy. It is very difficult to join the European Union. Uh, and it takes time. And the analogy I used to explain to my own people 20 years ago was, look, there's NATO and there's the EU. Now, from our position, what's the difference? Well, NATO, you go and you buy a suit of armor. And every year, you pay 2%. You have to keep paying 2% every year for that suit of armor. But you're protected. If you want to join the European Union, you have to go and operate, have an operation, and exchange every bone in your body and you have the old not so good bone and then you put in a brand new titanium bone that's really strong like i have a new shoulder here you know it's like six months later it's kind of beginning to work but but the point is you cannot do it
0: all at once i see i see but on the other hand uh, ukraine uh, there is no nato and there is no european yeah, Union. well i was
1: i mean the thing is i mean you ha- we have to change that so that there is something much more than being simply having an association agreement, but is not yet membership. That right. is what we need. And that will take money, and then you'll have the Dutch saying, no, 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 we can't do that. That costs money, and we don't want to spend any money. Um, but we will have to do something, because it has to be more than what, ha- what we had. Much more than we had uh, before we became members about the future um, i would like to quote
0: uh, russian writer yulia uh, latinina writer and journalist I know, and yeah. she she said we are witnessing the revival of uh, kiev and rus from now on everything that is in russian speaking world democratic market and western oriented will be concentrated in kiev kiev will, if
1: there's uh, anything left of it
0: after rebuilding Resurrection, but Kiev will again become the capital of Russia. Moscow will will be the capital of the horde. How about that? Mus- Mus-
1: kind of, yes. Yeah, it, we'll, if you look back in history, we can see we could see how, how it looks. That's that's a great great quote. I have to show me where it was. <laughs> so this is After on Twitter,
0: where you are uh, quite uh, often guest.
1: Oh, I didn't. I missed that one. How about such kind of scenario? Well, I mean, let's face it. Ukraine is far more civilized. It's far more European. I mean, why not? I'm, I, I mean, that's, I, you know, I mean, it's, we're speculating here, right? I right. Mean, because they're in the middle of a brutal war and they're being destroyed by the Russians. But I would say in terms of an understanding of the fundamental aspects of Western civilization, rule of law, Democratic elections, fund, respect for fundamental rights and freedoms. I mean, Kiev, is, it's, a modern, it's a modern city. It doesn't, you know, it hasn't gotten all the investment that we've had and they haven't been, managed to build it up the way we have built up our cities. But it's still a European city. Moscow, I mean, you can have all these cafes in the Arbat yeah but it is not european it is a it is something else it's sui generis it's not european not quite asian it's kind of like eh, well whatever but it does not i mean the principles of rule of law and democracy and respect for human rights do not hold there and unless they do they will be, they will fall behind i mean you know john mccain used to say it's just it's a gas station well i mean if you take away the income from natural resource pumping out natural resources what is the what is their economy i mean they their economy before the, all of this mess was the size of italy which is what you know it's like 40 percent of the population of russia but if you, uh, but now, with the sanctions, it's probably much lower. And, but if you take away the oil and gas, they do not produce anything other than weapons. I mean, there's nothing coming, no products, you know? A belmeni. I mean, but what else? Matroska dolls.
0: Coming to the Baltics. We see prices of energy, of fuel, <coughs> are rising here. Is it a cost of our security?
1: Absolutely. It always has been. Because energy is such a is such an important part of our I mean of security anyway and we will have to pay more for it. I mean it's that's the way it is and we were got used to cheap energy and that will not be the case. If we want to stay alive with a neighbor like Russia next to us and this is what this is the problem with Germany is that no they want everything they want to be able to sell to everybody they want to be able to have cheap energy and they want up till now up, well still right now but I mean it'll change they didn't want to pay for their own security
0: if you're speaking with People. some are worried, some tired, some are ready to fight back. What's your message to the Baltic people and people of Latvia?
1: Well, be prepared. I mean, well, one of the things I would say right now is what our governments have to do is demand an, an end to and throw into the trash can the NATO-Russia founding act, which keeps us from having permanent bases, NATO bases, troops, materiel, <clears throat> on our territory. This was agreed to in 1997. And all of the so-called new members, yeah, well, Poland and Czechs have been there for how many years? 23, we've been in NATO in, for 18. We're still the new members, right? No, and we're the front-line states. We're the ones up against Mordor, the people that, the the butchers who are killing and slaughtering people in Ukraine. We're right up next to them, as we know very well. No one has to, we know that. The point is that we don't have those, you know, those bases. You know, they were, when West Germany, West Germany had a population of about 62, 63 million people. In the American sector, I don't know how many people were in the American sector, but the American sector uh, had 400,000 U.S. troops at the, when the Soviet Union was being most aggressive. I mean, I did the calculation. For us, that would mean like, what, 10,000 American troops in, in Estonia, right? Well, we're facing a Russia that is acting exactly like the Soviet Union at which the Soviet Union did not threaten to use nuclear bombs. And we did not have people on TV saying, oh, we're just invaded. You know, that those awful dumb uh people on Russian television. I mean, we need bases. We need the presence of NATO troops. We don't need air policing. We need constant air uh um, air security i mean not that we, you know every 6 months you have like three jets come and three jets go no we need we need to be as strong as nato was in germany in the 1950s 60s 70s and 80s
0: thank you Paul president
1: that was ended quickly
0: 40 minutes